two, one. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Praxis Pedagogy Podcast. So glad you're here with us today. And in fact, it's not us. It's just me, uh, Tim Carson. Chad is on assignment today, and so he won't be uh, sharing this time with us uh, on this episode. But I do want to take this special time to say thank you to you to watching. uh, Sorry. Well, watching, I guess, could be part of it. But to say thank you, especially for listening to the podcast in our first season. Yes, this is our second season. And we call it our second season because we really wanted to follow the term schedule that our institution uses. So we do a kind of a fall winter session and then a, uh, a spring session and then a summer session. And so we wanted to follow those for a number of reasons. One, uh, because we value our families and we value our vocations and we also value our sanity. So taking regular breaks um, in the winter or during the winter uh, season and the summer uh, makes a big difference for us, especially when we're looking at uh, planning and uh, labeling things out and and how we're going to attack or or talk about different issues. So this is why we call this season two. And we wanted to say a big thank you for listening to season one. And we're really looking forward to season two because we have a bunch of really awesome guests coming on the show some for the first time and hopefully some return guests for a couple of those reunion kind of catch up episodes. So uh, stay tuned for those. Those are going to be awesome. It's also easier for me when it comes to planning out our session episodes, if we keep the season short. So if we have, you know, 10, 15 uh, episodes per season, it helps me plan out uh, the time that much easier. And it also will help in getting out what we call the mystical show notes. Now, some of you may be familiar with that term because I used it probably more than Chad has used it. But um, for instance, when I talk about the mystical show notes, I'm talking about show notes that I intend to get into the show. But more often than not, they don't. And so this next season, I've made it one of my goals to make sure that every episode that gets released from season two comes with their own show notes. And so this being our first episode of season two, you will have show notes uh, for this and you can find those on the website. TS, not TS Carson. You can find those on the website at, here's the website, praxispedagogy.com. So if you go to praxispedagogy.com, you will see our episodes there. You will see uh, a bunch of other things there. We do, I do a blog there as well and you'll probably see some other cool stuff that's there. But if you want the show notes for the show, they can be found on the website, praxispedagogy.com, and they will be released with uh, every new episode uh, coming up. Now, we have a couple episodes, three in, in particular, that uh, will be happening right after this one. So episode uh, 18, 19, and 20, uh, because they were, were recorded back in the first season and they're being released in the second season, uh, hit and miss on the show notes with those, but I'll try to get them out anyway. But the, the commitment is that any new recordings from now on will have show notes attached with them for everyone's benefit. So we hope that really uh, helps a lot of people out. And uh, yeah, that's uh, that's what we're doing. So welcome to season two. We're really excited to have you with us. And like I said, Chad's on assignment today. So uh, he'll be joining us on the next recording, but uh, it's just me. And so I thought I'd take this time to talk about 
something that's always been on my mind and on my heart and kind of in my practice. And uh, that is the issue of teamwork. And so you might have seen that the uh, title of this episode is Why Teams Don't Work. Now, it's meant to be a little satirical because I think teams work for the most part. And so the question isn't so much about or the statement isn't so much about, you know, this is why teams don't work and this is what we got to do to fix it. Although we're going to talk about that in a little bit. It's more along the lines of, okay, so if teams don't work, why? And it's really about an issue of not so much uh, uh, efficiency in the sense of are they getting stuff done and are they productive, although that's a part of it. But the question for me becomes one of, of being efficient. How efficient are these teams? Because people work together all the time. And in fact, in, when you're looking at different parts of industry and you're talking to different people who uh, are in charge of hiring uh, new employees, uh, they will look at a situation where uh, they want to start asking questions about teamwork and collaborative practice and, and, and those kinds of things. But in this, this episode, I wanted to address this issue of why teams don't work. And I'm going to address it in three stages. So we're the first stage we're going to define and describe. The second stage, we're going to talk about a little bit about we're going to talk a little bit about the chemistry of teams. And then in this third stage, uh, we're going to answer the question, why? Why work in teams and, and how? How do we get teams to work better? Okay. And so that's the episode today. Why, why teams don't work. So let's get started with stage one. All right, stage one. So here we are with uh, why teams don't work. And so... Vince Lombardi, who's probably one of my favorite coaches of one of my favorite uh, sports teams of all time. If you don't know who Vince Lombardi is, he is the gentleman who the Super Bowl trophy is named after. He was a coach for the Green Bay Packers for a number of years and a very great coach and uh, not just a good coach of football, but a good coach for life and tons of different quotes from this guy. But one of the ones that uh, sticks out to me a lot and one that I one that I tend to remember whenever I'm in teams is that individual commitment to a group effort is what makes a team work. It's what makes a company work. It's what makes a society work. Ultimately, it's what makes a civilization work. And so Lombardi had a really good insight on how to get teams to work together. And you know, sports teams are a good metaphor when we start talking about teamwork because I, I don't think there's any other scenario where you find a group of people who have come together for a very specific purpose. And in fact, that's what the definition of teamwork is, is that it's a group of people acting together to achieve a common goal. Now, in sports, I don't think you could find a better metaphor for that simply because you have a group of, a group of people who have been brought together to achieve a common goal. And the common goal is always a championship of some degree, okay? And it's always about this issue of effectiveness and efficiency. And, you know, and, and it's always about the group working together while each is doing their own part. And the interesting thing about when you look up definitions for teamwork, some definitions include this idea of a subordination Piece. So there's this issue of subordinating your personal prominence or in essence, you're, you're, you're sacrificing your own ego and you're placing your own pride off to the side 
for the efficiency or the effectiveness of the team. And so you, you often hear in team sports this issue of some players are very selfless players or they're very sh- selfish players in the sense that they want everything about them. And so I love teams in regards to sports because they become this 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 system of, of how a team can work. And you can have a team, and these guys are professional people. They're being paid, in some cases, millions and millions of dollars to play on a team with other people who are just as good as they are and are also being paid millions and millions of dollars to achieve one goal, and that's to get a championship. And in case some people are thinking, well, wait a minute, you're talking about team sports and teamwork, that's fine, but not everybody works on a team. I get that. But if you even look in the sports world at at different sports like golfing or swimming, uh, you'll find that these people do not work in a vacuum. They too have coaches. They too have trainers. They too have people that they go to to get mentally ready. I mean, the the Canadian um, junior hockey team uh, has a mental readiness coach. And that's what this person does is they get the team ready mentally, not only to play, but to deal with hardship and conflict, as well as how to celebrate uh, their successes. And so there's all these different components within teamwork. And it doesn't matter if you're a solo person in the sense of that you're, you're playing golf or whether you're on a team with, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 people, the whole idea is to win a championship. And so when we're looking at defining teamwork, it's this group of people acting together to achieve a common goal. And for the most part, they are subordinating their personal prominence to the efficiency of the whole, which means they're putting their self-interests in second place to the efficiency and the workability of the team, which is in their first place. So we, we see this also working in business. We see this in working groups or in working units or in departments or management teams. You see these groups of people are brought together for the purpose of achieving a goal. And it could even be a task force who is put together for the simple reason of trying to solve this very specific problem. And they're, very, and they're together for a very short period of time usually. And they're very intensively focused on what they need to do. And at the end of it all, when they've, when they've either reached a conclusion Uh, in a positive manner or they haven't reached their goal they're disbanded and they're they're you know relieved of their duties if we want to call it that but we see it in in business as well with with working groups and units and management teams uh my own background in skilled trades we see this uh, teamwork being played out in crews and divisions and sub trades and departments uh or whether or not we're working with contractors or subcontractors or general contractors or superintendents and all of these are different levels of of where I come from in the skilled trades uh, world but there's also another level that comes into play for me and I think for a lot of us in the sense that it we have this idea of teamwork happening in the home right so we have our significant others we have our partners uh, some of us have children uh, we'll have extended family and so whenever there's a common goal that's being shared amongst those people then we get together and we have some kind of teamwork and sometimes it works well and sometimes it doesn't work well and so when i'm when i'm looking at this issue of teamwork it's not just a specific topic that will deal on a very narrow bandwidth in fact the issues of teamwork spread across every piece of that bandwidth from like i said from big big time sports teams whether you have you know 10 20 30 40 people on it 
all the way down to the individual uh, athlete. Uh, you'll see it in business. You'll see it in the skilled trades and the vocational trades. You'll see it in the family and in the home. And teamwork is a big deal because it's it's been recognized by a lot of employers as being one of the most important skills that people can have is working together in a team. And in fact, if, if we are leaders and we're looking at growing our leadership, one of the best tools that we can bring to any situation uh, is the fact that we can not only work in teams, but can you lead a team? How successful have you been leading this group of people towards the common goal? And so when I when I look at the delineation piece of, of this stage one, where uh, I begin asking myself, so what, what does the literature say? What 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 do what are some good books out there that talk about teamwork? Well, one of the first ones, the one of the first books that comes to mind is Patrick Lencioni's Five Dysfunctions of a Team. Now, this book was written a couple decades ago. It's been around for a long time. It, it's it's a very popular book. In fact, the way that it's written is in a in a narrative or a story format, so it's it's really easy to read, uh, very accessible. And in this book, uh, Lencioni lists out this pyramid of dysfunctionalities of a team. And I'll include them in the show notes. And you notice I didn't call them mystical show notes, but I'll include the the diagram in the show notes. And in essence, he talks about a team being able to trust each other and a team being able to move through conflict together and their their commitment to one another. And then there's the issue of accountability, which is a really, really sticky piece for a lot of people. And then the results. Are, are Are you aiming for activity or are you just aiming for results and and that's a that's a big deal and then another uh diagram i came across uh was um kind of took those ideas and and put them together in a puzzle piece and the author is saying to us that you know with a lack of trust you can't you can't do anything and and in the sense of if there's a lack of trust on the team the team's not going to do very well and although that may sound like a no-brainer, why is it the teams work so hard at, at getting somewhere without putting a lot of emphasis on building trust with one another? And there is some, some literature out there that says that, you know, in, in regards to some teams, trust isn't that big of an issue because for one, they work remotely, so they're not really worried about meeting them face-to-face or having to meet them in the hallway or develop friendships because sometimes you just can't do that. But I would even argue that there's still a level of trust that needs to be there for remote teams just as well as there are for a local teams, face-to-face kind of teams. So I'll include a link in the show notes for about Patrick Lencioni's book, Five Dysfunctions of a Team. There's a lot of great resources around that. You can you can look it up. I've even included a YouTube video that, uh, that you can watch. And... Um, when you do take some notes and then uh, and then ask yourself some very important questions about what he talks about in that video. The other book that comes to mind when we talk about teamwork, and there's a lot of them out there, is one written by Daniel Coyle, and he wrote The Culture Code. And if you recognize that name, he also wrote The Talent Code, which is a fantastic book in and of itself. And again, I'll include a link to the book. I'll include a link to uh, a YouTube clip for you to uh, to take uh, into consideration. And I don't want to give too much away, but Daniel Coyle in the book also talks about this ability to create an environment where people feel safe. And that's that's not uh, uh, um, that's not an insignificant piece because if people here's the thing if people do not feel safe 
they're not going to be willing to trust. And the, and the interesting thing about trust and vulnerability is that some people often say or will, will, will act out, I will trust the other person when they begin trusting me. And it just doesn't work that way. It just doesn't work that way. Uh, we build deeper levels of trust by first trusting others. And that's hard. That's really hard to do, especially if we've been burned in previous relationships or previous working arrangements where maybe we have extended some trust to somebody and they've turned around and they've let us down or worse, they've stabbed us in the back or they've thrown us under the bus or they've stolen the credit from us or from the team. And so we develop a callus, we develop uh, thicker skin per se. And that bleeds into the inability for us to begin trusting people again. And so this idea of being able to trust and, and being vulnerable with others isn't easy, but it's the most important thing to the whole process. And that if we don't have trust, it's really, really hard to build upon any kind of foundation without it. In fact, when often I talk to my students in my organizational behavior classes, I talk about trust being the glue between the bricks. It's the mortar that holds the bricks together. We can, we can build a building with bricks with no mortar, but when any kind of tension shows up or any kind of external crisis shows up, that building is going to fall down really, really quick. But if we have mortar, good mortar, meaning that there's enough trust there between the people, then the building will last for years, hundreds of years sometimes. And so uh, we have to get this, uh, this, this thing straight when we talk about teamwork and that it's about trust. And in fact, on championship teams, when, you, when we look at championship teams, and we don't even have to look at sports teams. You, you look at medical teams, for instance, or surgeons, they work with groups of people. That My wife's a nurse. Uh, they work with groups of people. And there's, there's, some, there's some interesting data that shows up with that when, when nurses and doctors begin to trust each other and they begin breaking down the walls between them, professional walls per se, about you know, training and expertise and experience, when those walls start being broken down in the sense that they're beginning to trust one another for what they bring to the table, then the team gets more efficient. It becomes more effective. And in the healthcare industry, you're looking at these situations and saying, well, what's most important? Is, it, is the ego of, of these people more important than the, than the value and safety of the patient? We would say no. But how often does that get acted out in the sense of our pride getting in the way or our ego getting in the way of, of that coming to fruition? And so when we look at developing trust and we look at developing uh, vulnerability with people, Team leadership or, or, or being able to lead uh, within a team takes courage and, and it, it takes courage to make teams work well. In fact, I've written in my notes here that team leadership is not all about wearing the C or wearing the captaincy. And in fact, we could probably pull out a lot of different experiences of teams where the team captain wasn't always the leader in the room or wasn't the only leader in the room. More often than not, uh, there are other leaders in the room that don't wear the C, but have just as much influence on the team as the quote unquote captain. But team leadership 
and we have to remember this, is often weighed in the balance with risk. So is the person willing to take the risk to step out or to step up and to lead a group? And the risk is not only personal, it's professional. And so there's, there's, that's why trust is so hard to build sometimes, is because you're not only battling your own ego and your own pride, but you're also battling this, this idea of fear and risk because you could step out. You could step your step out and stick your neck out per se, but what if it gets chopped? What if somebody steps on your toes? What if somebody does something to you behind your back? Then that really begins to erode the whole idea of trust. And so when we're looking at defining teams, we can't get away from the idea of courage and confidence, character and credibility. And so um, before we leave stage one, it's really important that when we look at teamwork, we define it as this group of people acting together to achieve a common goal, but also to subordinate their personal prominence to the effectiveness or to the efficiency of the whole. And that's really, really key because you can have these superstar players who come on your team and who are really, really great and, and, and who bring a ton of a ton of upside to the team. But if they don't get along with people, if they're, if they're full of ego and full of pride, then that has a real detrimental effect on the effectiveness and the output of the team. And in fact, we would see that the team itself begins to pull away and isolate themselves from the superstar. And most often the superstar doesn't even know that it's happening. And that has a, and that has a detrimental effect on the team. And so that's stage one. So let's, uh, let's head into stage two and we'll talk a little bit about the chemistry of teams. So in talking about chemistry of teams, there's really, I, I kind of isolate it down into four different sections. There's communication, there's vision, there's process, and then there's idiosyncrasy. And what I mean by communication in the sense that are we communicating frequently and are we being transparent in our communication? And those two things are key because if we're not being transparent, and you're not being frequent in what you communicate and how you communicate it, there's going to be problems, right? And there's also a vision. Is the vision uh, of the goal for the team, is it clear? Is it compelling? Uh, are, are we do, do we have clarity on the roles of people in the team? And do people in the team have or are given the agility to either self-identify or to shift if the situation comes up. And so these two connect together to what I call process. And the process is all about rewards, and conflicts, uh, and, and recognizing that there's a life cycle to teams in the sense that there's a launch, there's a midway, and there's a closure. So, you know, there are teams who've been together for a very long time who probably couldn't answer the question, why are we here? Why are we still a team? <laughs> uh, there are some teams uh, out there, maybe you are one of them, and I know I've been a part of them. When it comes to the rewards issue, what is the what is the what is the reward at the end of the at the end of the process? What's the what's the pot of gold for us? How do we even recognize if we've won or not? Right, and so uh, rewards become a big issue, and, and they're not always monetary. 
right? They could, they could be a bunch of other things, but they're not always monetary. And the other one is conflicts. How do we how do we deal with conflict in the team? Do we look at conflict as positive or do we look at it as negative? There is definitely positive uh, conflict and negative conflict in and of itself. But what's our mindset around conflict? How do we look at it? How do we view it? How are we courageous in working through it? And so really those the, those three are the heart of the chemistry of teams. So communication, vision, and process. But the fourth one that I've added to this is what I call idiosyncrasy. And what I mean by that is, are we building on strengths, fourth strengths? And so when we're looking at putting together a team, are we looking at bringing on the best people with the best strengths to fit the need or the goal? Or are we doing it just because these people look good and it would look good for us to have them on the team? So are we building for strength with strength? And that that's, that's important. And the other one that I've listed beside idiosyncrasy is, are we willing to bring on those people who have a divergent thinking process? Uh, we need people who are convergers, who uh, subscribe to a convergent thinking process in the sense that they, they take all the information, they whittle it down, and they find they look for patterns, and they try to find answers, and they start moving in a direction. We definitely need those people on a team. But on the, on the other side of that coin, are we looking for people who are willing to diverge away from the path? Are they willing to take what they have and just kind of blow it up and see what happens in the sense of, they're not afraid to ask the hard questions. They're not afraid to poke and prod. They're not afraid to exercise some curiosity when it comes to figuring out an idea or figuring out a process or figuring out a solution. Uh, in essence, some of these people, the divergent people have no sacred cows when it comes to uh, bringing in different perspectives or even just turning the whole situation on, their, on itself and looking at it from a different perspective. And I've worked with a few people who are very, very divergent. And, and at first it was really hard for me to deal with because I'm a bit, I'm a converger. I like to assimilate a bunch of knowledge, a bunch of research, a bunch of input. And then I like to converge on it and begin whittling down. But this other person that I was working with wasn't like that. He was very much a diverger in the sense that, okay, we've got all this information. So what? Big deal. What next? What's next? And so we would start answering those questions and then he would blow that up and go, okay, so now what? What are we going to do about this? And what are we going to do about that? And so it's very good in the process of, of working from point A to point whatever or working from the beginning to the end. And, and you know, we need our convergers, but we also need those people who are divergent. And one author that I came across suggested that we actually start looking at deviants in the process. And, and I don't know if I like the term deviants so much, is I like uh, bringing in somebody who can play the devil's advocate on the team, who's not afraid to kind of rub the wrong way on a team, not for the sake of trying to create discord and chaos, but really helping the team or the group to figure out, is this really the, the right direction that we should be moving in? Is this something that we should be chasing down as a team? Is Are we doing the right thing at the right time for the right reason? And so bringing these kind of people onto the team is very, very important. Of course, they have to come with some skill. Of course, they have to come with some self-efficacy and, and they have to come with uh, an ability to lay down their pride and their ego for the sake of the team. But are they also divergent enough to challenge the process, right? So when we look at stage two, the chemistry of teams, and if, and if you're in a position of, of bringing people onto a team or you're looking at developing a team and putting a team together together, 
I think these four sections are massively important and need some time to percolate in our brains so that we come out with some really good answers for ourselves and also being able to hold those answers uh, lightly to a certain degree. And so that brings us to stage three. And so working with stage three, it's really about answering the question, how do we, how do we get teams to work better together? And so I want to share with you what I found. Really, there's five things that have popped up in what I've read and what I've watched and kind of boiled them down into, into five, I guess, different uh, keys for us when we're start, starting to look at how we can begin making teams work better together. And so the first one is we must be genuine. We must be real, uh, authentic. We must be ethical uh, and in a sense, transformative in, in, in the idea that there's, there's a deeper reason why we're putting a team together and it's not just so that we can look good, right? Uh, it, there's got to be a, a real compelling reason and, and it has to be a, a, an authentic reason, a genuine reason outside of just, we just want to accomplish a goal per se. But when you have the ability to put a team together and you're, and you're communicating this to others, you have to often, often answer the question, why am I, why am I asking this person? Uh, and I've had people say that to me before. Okay. So the, the, the goal is great. The idea is great. But why me? Why are you coming and asking me? And we need to think through those questions and have really, really good answers. We need to seek clarity on that. We need to be very clear on why we're asking person A or person B to come and be a part of this team. So, and that's, and that's really at the core before we look at anything else, you have to be real and genuine about those issues. Okay. The second one is we need to have a trajectory. You need to have a direction and some people call it a compelling direction. I just call it a trajectory in the sense that we want to be able to identify where we're going. You need to know where you're going and why you're going there. And so is there fidelity or resonance between the team, the team leader, the organization and the goals and the outcomes? And so really when I look at a team, I break it down into three components. There's the team itself. There's the leader in the team, whether they are appointed officially and recognized officially as quote unquote, the leader or whether that person rises up or emerges from within the team. And then there's the organization that the team belongs to, right? So if those three areas, if they're, if they're in resonance with each other, meaning that the goals of the team are meeting the goals of the organization, if the, if the goals and the outcomes of the leader are, are the same as the goals of the team and the organization, there's a lot of resonance there. And so, it makes it easier to avoid fogginess. It makes it easier to develop a clear direction for the team and not just a destination for where the team's going to land, but having a destination and a plan now becomes critically important. And what I like to say to people who are building teams and even remind myself of that when I'm putting teams together, we need to avoid fogginess in answering some of these questions because if we're any if there's any kind of fogginess in our brain when it comes to putting teams together, 
it will be like a fog bank to those that we're talking to. And it makes the communication process really hard. Remember the chemistry of teams? One of the pieces of the chemistry model is communication. And if we're foggy about why we're doing it and where we're going and what we're going to do, well, when you try to communicate that to other people, it's going to be a fog bank for them. They're not going to be able to see, you know, a foot in front of their face when it comes to figuring stuff out. So that's why we need to have a compelling direction. We need to have a compelling trajectory as to where we're going. Okay. The third thing that I wanted to highlight uh, from what I found is that we need to have empowering structures. And so we, in, in empowering structures means, have we, have we looked at the tasks? Have we looked at team members? Have we decided upon roles? Have, the, have we developed those roles clearly enough uh, with some lateral movement to change if it needs to happen? But are we, are we even looking at how is the team going to act when they're together? What are the norms for the team? Uh, team charter would be a, a great place to start in, in regards to developing some norms or, or behavioral expectations of what the team's going to do when they're together. And so having these empowering structures means exactly that. We're empowering the team members to do this themselves. It's not being imposed upon them so much as it is encouraging them to come up with some empowering structures. And so whenever you can, you can include some collaborative practice in this, when it comes together, putting the team together, having some enabling structures or empowering structures in place makes this process a lot easier. The fourth one is what I've labeled facilitative systems. So facilitative systems. And what do I mean by that? Well, the first one is resources. And this is always the biggest issue with teams, right? Do we have the time? Do we have the people? Do we quote unquote have the money? And, so, and oftentimes time and people is, is equivalent to money in the sense that we need money to find people and we need money to pay the time. So do we have enough resources? Is, is there a resource system in place? The, the second one I, I would tend to think through is the information system. How are we going to share knowledge? How are we going to grow the base of the team? See, there's a breadth to the team, but there's also a depth to the team. And if people are unsure of each other and they're not and they're not moving together towards a trusting environment, not a lot of information is going to be shared. And so you're not going to grow in the sense of a breadth wise. You're going to stay very narrow and you won't be able to expand any knowledge bases that you have there. You'll have you'll have maybe four or five people on your six person team that come with a ton of depth. They come with a lot of experience in in, in the field or they come with a a mix of experience and 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 formal education uh but at the end of it you want them to be able to work together you need to be able to take that breadth and move it out you don't just want to be a mile deep and an inch wide you want to be a, a mile deep but a mile wide as well and so it leads me to the third section of facilitative systems and that's the one of rewards rewards is the risk ratio going to balance out for people on the team because I've often talked with people about being on a team and they say, okay, so this is where you want to go. And this is kind of how you're going to get there. What's in it for me. And that's a, they may not be as blunt of a question as that from some people, but they're going to want to know what the risk ratio is for them because being a part of a teams is risky. They're going to have to be vulnerable to some point. They're going to build some trust with other people. 
what's the reward system for that going to be? And for some, uh, it's the reward system could be purely financial, purely monetary. They're going to get paid a bunch of money and a bonus. They're going to get a raise. They're going to all those other things. Some of the people want recognition. They want to be able to put this on their uh, resume, on their on their CV. They may want to be able to use this as a stepping stone to a different group or a different company or maybe building their own business down the road. The, the rewards are, are plentiful out there, and but we have to be able to talk about them. And we also have to make sure that they facilitate the process of building the team. Because you don't want to have your team of four or five, six people together and have one person with a different reward system that's not working with the rest of the team. Because that will erode the whole process. The last one is coaching. And so when, when we're looking at uh, bringing a team together and there's a, there's a person on the team who rises up in leadership or there's a few people who may be leading the team in different ways and different processes, are we looking at managing tensions within the team. And this goes to that conflict piece that I talked about in the process section about the chemistry of teams. So how do we manage tension? There's healthy tension and then there's unhealthy tension. So what I like to call it is there's healthy conflict and there's unhealthy conflict. Unhealthy conflict is always negative. It always tends to tear stuff down. Uh, Healthy conflict tends to be looking at the reasons why we're doing things and looking for honest answers. And Sometimes it takes time to get to that point where people can have those kinds of conversations with each other. But this is also where the deviant thinking or the divergent thinking comes into play here. And when we have these people on our team, the, the, the last thing we would want to do is silence the critics. And I, I was on a, on a team one time and there was this person asking a question and I made the, I made the cardinal rule mistake of teamwork And that before this person had even finished their question, I was shutting them down. And that wasn't right. And it it, it damaged the team. In fact, it damaged my relationship with the other person. And I had to work really hard to restore that. And it it wasn't because I didn't trust the other person as much as I didn't, I didn't, well, I I didn't like the way the conversation was going. And and I was just perceiving too far ahead as to where it was going to end up. And I didn't want to go there. So I just shut the conversation down. I shouldn't have done that because in talking with this person later on, I found out that that's not what their intent was. Their intent was to get this whole thing out in the open so we could talk about it as a group. And I, and I, I robbed the team of that experience. So the, when we talk about coaching, sometimes it's coaching ourselves to just be quiet. Don't act on the first impulse to silence the critic let it play out. Don't be afraid to, to be curious about some of these things and, and, and allow people to poke and prod and, and you never know, you just might find you, you wind up with a, you know, a, a really significant answer to a really significant problem. And, and all it took was just, you know, you being quiet. And so coaching is, a, is the fifth element of this process that I think on, on how we get teams to work better together. So let me recap them with you. How to get teams to work well together? Well, you got to be genuine. Uh, the team has to be genuine, uh, as well as the leader, obviously. There needs to be a trajectory for the team. Where are they going? Why are they going there? What's going to happen when they get there? The third thing is empowering structures. What are we doing to give the team uh, the time, the space, and the energy to do what they need to do? 
The fourth one is, are we facilitating systems? Are we developing support systems for them in regards to resources or information sharing, uh, but also in the reward piece? So are we, are we giving people a facilitative system or a support system? And the last one is about coaching. So in wrapping up, it's not just about juggling uh, teams and making them work and juggling people around and taking care of all of that. I think it's more about balancing and Juggling for me just seems to be a little scary and a little out of control, but balancing to me makes a lot more sense in that, in that you know that there's this tension that's always going on and you, what you're trying to find is a, an equilibrium on the team to help them work more efficiently and effectively together. And so uh, when I'm, what I want to wrap up today with is this idea that we can make teams work better and more efficiently. I think if we if we keep our minds focused on the idea that we're a group of people acting together with the idea of subordinating our personal prominence on the team, remembering the team chemistry of communication, vision, process, and idiosyncrasies, as well as these five keys to helping teams work better together, being real, having some direction, Uh, enabling structures, have some support systems, but also coaching and not just coaching others, but coaching yourself. So that concludes today's episode. Thanks again so much for listening. I really, really appreciate it. I miss Chad on these things because I I just love bouncing these these things off of him because he he has a really good perspective and he he challenges me on a a couple things and and, and I I miss him. I'm looking forward to having him back next week. Um, Also, we, we release our podcast every Monday. Uh, so if you haven't subscribed to our podcast, you can go to iTunes. We're on Stitcher. Uh, there's a few other podcast uh, platforms out there that we're on. We release every week on Monday. So please be sure to subscribe to the podcast. You can uh, do that through your podcast supporters. You can also go to the website and and uh, listen to it right from the website or you can download it and, uh, and, and tell us what you think. Please give us a review and a rating. That would make us feel very special about uh, what we're doing here. Uh, but also would give us some give us some feedback on, on how we can make things better. And I want to challenge you with one thing this week. And uh, and I'm, I'm going to be doing this myself. And I, I just kind of wanted to put a challenge out there for people. What can you do this week to level up your team experience? What can you do this week to level up or enhance your team experience. What might be one thing that changes the trajectory of your team in a positive direction? And the last question I want you to think about is what's holding your team back from a significant breakthrough? Is that thing external or is it internal? And that's what I want you to think about this week as we move through our, our first week back to work for some of us and we're getting back into this whole idea of working together with other people on teams or maybe we're putting together a team for the first time i want you to be able to think through these things and wrestle with them and come up with some great ideas let me know how that works out for you uh you can uh, comment on the bottom of the the show notes on the website praxispedagogy.com episode 17 uh or you can email me uh or you can find me on uh twitter at praxispedagogy Uh, or you can uh, just wait until we meet face-to-face. So until then, take care. Out. Out.